Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. Uh, If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to look at verse 25 through 34. Uh, Let me just also just put another reminder for the Giving Tuesday. It's not just our church, but it's a global thing. And what I'm excited about is not so much money coming in for us, but there are a lot of churches that during this COVID season, either on the brink of closing down, I know some pastors, as we've talked, some of them are going to be moving on. Some of them are even rethinking about serving as a pastor. So we want to be able to just give some of that resources that God is releasing from you and to be able to then give it to other people because it's not about us. It's always good to give to others. As the Bible tells us, it's good to it's more blessed to give than to receive. And as, a, as Pastor Bo was mentioning, that kind of feeling where we could bless other churches, and that's what we're about. And also there's a lot of NGOs and different partners in our ministry that we're working with. Uh, they're also struggling with trying to get some of the resources, especially during this difficult season. So we want to bless them. Uh, God has been gracious to us. I, I, I'm a firm believer that for our budget, God will provide because that's your responsibility, every single one of you, if you're a member in this church. And so we want to be faithful to that. But giving above and beyond to these different organizations, different churches, that's something that comes out of our hope, your heart to bless and to really build up the kingdom of God together. So please keep that in mind. And how many of you have already did some kind of outreach or you did some kind of Thanksgiving kind of dinner thing? Amen. How, how was it? Was it good? Yeah, we had a we had a really good time uh, last night with uh, single adults and some of the merry men, and we were able to gather together and we had food from all over the world. It was awesome, and especially the turkey. And so, praise God for that turkey. So uh, it, it was great. Uh, so we're just really uh, excited that this will just be the beginning. Uh, don't just stop there, but now we have to keep on being involved in the lives, praying for them. And hopefully some of them will come out to our life group or even on a Sunday. And if you're here on a Sunday because of some of the outreaches, we welcome you. And we hope that you'll be blessed this morning. So as you've turned to Matthew chapter 6, I want to just kind of bring this to a close. Because as you know, this whole month, it's been missions month for us. And the theme has been living on the edge. And the reason why we decided to cover some of these missionaries uh, in history was because many of them if not all, lived on the edge. That's the reason why we talk about them. Even after a hundred some years later, we still talk about some of these missionaries because they did some radical and pretty much God-loving, God-honoring, God-exalting things that when we look at their lives, it, it should inspire us. It should challenge us, especially with our generation now, with where we are. And if you think about a lot of the things that they did not have, but they had the heart, They had their love for Jesus, and they had their love for people, and they were willing to risk it all to go forth and share this good news of Jesus Christ with every single person that God has called them to minister unto. When we think about our lives, we have so much more, more technology, more things. I'm not saying it's better or worse, but all I can say is this. Sometimes having more is not always a blessing, because sometimes it's easy to get more distracted, more busy. But what God is doing is that he is using these missionaries' lives to inspire us once again to kind of reimagine what would it be like if God were to use me in my school, in my workplace, 
possibly some of you will go to another country and God will use you in that way. So part one, if you remember, we talked about David Livingston and we talked about a life of devotion. And just through his life, he literally opened up the continent of Africa. So if there's any believers that are coming from the continent of Africa, it's because of what David Livingstone and many other missionaries who went there risked their lives. Some of them died sharing the gospel. And so we should always be grateful as we think about that. And last week we talked about part two, Amy Carmichael and just this life of love and the impact that she made, the things that she surrendered. She came from a very upper class and realizing as God, Holy Spirit spoke to her that she was willing to give it all so that she could love the children and the women who have been abused in some of these temple worship in India. And so through that, through the uh, child prostitution and the prostitution at these temple in their religion, that she was rescuing them. And even to the point of at the cost of her life with the authorities. Now, that's the one comment that I always want to make. Everything comes down to money in this world. All the injustices, it comes down to money. Because somehow someone benefits from the injustice. If you think about human trafficking, sex trafficking, who benefits? There are people who benefit from it. You look at pornography, someone benefits from it. Whatever you could think of that you feel like this is not right, something's not right here, I'm telling you right now, someone benefits financially. That's why as soon as you stand up against it and you fight against it, you better be willing to lay down your life. You come against higher powers and you're going to disrupt their comfortability and their life. They'll come after you. Kind of like the pastor when he preaches the word pretty strong. Uh, the, it rocks your comfortability. They'll, they'll come after you. Because we want to be comfortable. We want to live in a self-centered world. And, and I'm telling you right now, like to go into some of these difficult places, dark places, it will require a tremendous amount of faith. Tremendous amount of love, tremendous amount of courage and fearlessness, because you know who's you, uh, the, who, who owns you, who, who loves you, who will protect you. And so I want to close out today and talk about Hudson Taylor. It's a life of commitment. Many of you have heard of him. He's one of the, probably the most famous missionary who also opened the door. He wasn't the first one. Robert Morrison was the first one who entered into China, but he was probably the one that had the most impact and inspired many, many people after him, generations after generations. And you'll see this at the end. But so many people were inspired by his life and his work in China. So if you are Chinese, any background, and you are a believer, or your family is a believer in Christ, it's because of this man and many other people who are blessed by him and blessed by that person who was blessed by him and then blessed by that person who was blessed by that person who was blessed by him. And I'm telling you, it goes from generation after generation. That's why I get always amazed when I hear about some of the Chinese people that they are three-generation Christians. So a lot of them had some kind of influence by Hudson Taylor. And so I, I just want to encourage us as we listen to his life, as we look into the word, may it inspire us. And we need more of these people in this new generation. I pray that you will be one of them. That you will make a, not just a little splash in history, but we'll make a big splash. And 
I'll, I'll tell you this much. When one person jumps, the splash is okay. When two people jump, then the splash is even better. When the whole church jumps in the water at the same time, we're going to make a huge splash. Can I get an amen? amen? Turn to somebody next to you and say, let's make a big splash. Amen. So let's go ahead and look at Hudson Taylor, our life of commitment. If you remember, and for each of these missionaries, we decided to look at their lives in three categories. We talked about their preparation for mission, that God is always preparing us for his mission. We also talked about their purpose and mission. What was their role? What was the passion? What did God place in them to start living out the mission that God has given to them. The third and last one is their place in God's mission. Kind of like their legacy. What is their place? How did God use them so that the ripple effect will continue on? And so we want to look at these three things. So let me give us the one thing. The one thing is this, and I'm going to have us really focus in on this because it's part of the passage that I want to look at. And the one thing is simply this, that when we make God a priority, our faith ignites with intensity that when we make God a priority that our faith ignites with intensity I'm going to go ahead and read Matthew chapter 6 verse 25 through 34 and if you don't have a Bible you can just kind of read it up here with me and it says this it says therefore I tell you do not be anxious about your life what you will eat what you will drink nor about your body what you will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet their heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God has so clothed the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown away into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, what shall we wear? For the Gentiles... Seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself, sufficient for the day in its own trouble. I'm wondering, how many of you, whenever you're with your family or with your friends, and you have heard, what do you want to eat? Uh, I'm going to be honest with you. I hate that question. Uh, this is part of the reason why, like some of those CEOs and some of those people, they just wear black and black. And, the, you know, just they don't have to think about what they're going to do. That's one less lane they have to occupy in their brain. There are times when I'm working on things or when there are things, and, and then the question is, oh, w w what do you want to eat? Pastor, what should we order for our gathering? I'm, I, I'm like, I don't know. Well, I kind of know what I don't like. Chicken feet. There's other stuff, like anything internal. But figure it out. I could eat anything. Now, I won't 
that won't guarantee that I won't say some things about the food or how I eat it. You know, that's a whole different issue that I need to keep on working on and repenting of. But all I can say, all I can say is that when you're out in the wilderness, you'll eat anything. And the thing is this, is that oftentimes when we have so many options, it paralyzes us. In fact, if I could probe a little bit deeper, I would say that the more options that you have, more anxious and worried you become. If you don't believe me, just think about your life. When you have four places to go on exchange. When you have three guys to choose from that you would want to go out with. Wow. Uh, next week we're going to talk about relationships. Major. What major or what classes to take? I mean, if you think about your life, even like what clothes should I wear in the morning, the more options you have, the more choices you have, I'm telling you right now, it is hard to focus and it can fuel a lot of anxiety and a lot of worry. And that's why I think it's very counterintuitive, but the more options you have, the harder it is to prioritize. The less options you have, it's very clear. And the reason why we get worried and anxious oftentimes in our lives is because we don't know how to prioritize. The phrase, do not be anxious, as we just read in these verses in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 through 34, you will notice that that phrase, do not be anxious, is repeated three times. In verse 25, in verse 31, and in verse 34. That's why, let me give you a different translation of that phrase, do not be anxious. I'm going to read it from the Amplified. It says this, therefore I tell you, stop being worried or anxious. Would you say this with me? What? Perpetually uh, uneasy, distracted about your life. Isn't that true? When you are anxious or worried, you are perpetually, it's this constant uneasiness and this constant distraction. And so Jesus knew that if his followers would allow the cares of this world to consume them, see, this is where Jesus understands the human heart. If you allow the cares and worries about this world consume you, then you will be distracted in your heart and in your mind, and you will be divided. What Jesus wants is all of you. He wants your whole life. He wants your mind. He wants your heart. He wants your affections. The more worried or anxious you are, the more you will be divided in your heart. The more distracted, the more perpetually uneasy you will feel in your life. That's why Jesus uses several illustrations to show that God can be trusted and will provide for all our needs. As we have read, he gives the illustration about the birds of the air and how God feeds them. And then he uses a, a field covered with lilies. And he says, look at this field that's covered with lilies that God himself created that. And even the birds, who feeds them? It's God in his providence. 
The point is that the birds in the fields, they don't do anything to take care of themselves. In fact, Jesus shows them that their worth, if God does that for the birds and he does that for the field, look at your life. How much more will he take care of you because he says, aren't you worth more than these things? I, I know this is going to sound really weird, but I want you to say it. I'm worth more than a bird. Go ahead. Just go, go, go. I know it sounds really weird. Just say it with me. And say, I am more, I know, I know this sounds really weird. You're like, oh my God, what are we in? Like yoga class, positive thinking. But I'm just using scripture here to help us to say it and declare it because that's what the Bible says. So I'm worth more than a bird. And the second thing I want you to say, I'm more beautiful than a flower. Go ahead. Now, I don't know why some of you are looking at each other. You're more beautiful than a flower. That, uh, okay, be careful on that, all right? <laughs> I'm worth more than a bird, and I'm more beautiful than a flower. So here's Jesus when he says, aren't you more valuable than they? If some of you are not convinced, let me, let me put it this way. What does worry do to us? I might have shared some of this before, but as I think about worry, this is what it does to it. And if some of you are in this situation where you're anxious, some of you might have social anxiety. It's somehow kind of related because you're thinking about yourself. I know it's a mental health issue, but you have to realize it's rooted in your thoughts. So a lot of it is focused on you. When you think about worry, who are you thinking about? It's about you. There are choices, but the choice you make is going to affect you. So you're thinking about yourself. So people who worry and are anxious, I mean, understandably, it's a mental health issue to some extent for some of you. But I would say in a general umbrella, the focus is all on you. That's why you're anxious. That's why you are worried all the time. Because if I make this choice, what will happen to me? If I don't say this, what will happen to me? It's all about you. So here are some things that worry does to us. First of all, it interferes with our joy. I have yet to meet a joyful worrier. <laughs> yet to this day. The people who are the most joyful are the ones who are at peace. Can I get a good amen to that? Amen. They're at peace. They're not worried. What's going to happen? They're trusting. That's why they have joy. When you ever meet somebody with joy, you can pretty much, and I'm not talking about that, that's not joyful. That could just be too, like, you know, emotionally charged up kind of person. Because I've seen a lot of people like that. I'm like, they have no joy. Joy is independent of circumstances. So that your whole world can be collapsing and you're not going to be like, hi. If you are, then you're faking it. Joyful people have this inner peace where even though things are collapsing around them, you just, when you're around them, you feel this, this peace, this calm. And they're thankful. That's another sign of a joyful person. They're thankful. They can see things always the half, cup half full rather than half empty. But people who worry are anxious. I'm telling you right now, it interferes with the joy. Here's another thing I've noticed. That it, 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 it interrupts our rhythm of life. People who worry and people who are anxious, they can't sleep well. 
I have seen people telling me stories about how they're laying there for hours. And they look at the clock and they realize it's 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock in the morning, 3 o'clock. They can't go to sleep. It interrupts. You can't eat. You're losing weight. And not because you're working out or doing whatever. You just can't eat. It's a physiological issue that happens. It interrupts the rhythms of life. Some of you might, it might kick into even depression. You don't want to go and do things. You don't want to go out to life group. You don't want to come out to church. You don't want to, you don't want to meet with people. That's what happens when you worry and when you get anxious. The third thing is this. Not only does it interfere with our joy and interrupts our rhythm of life, but it initiates negative thoughts. I'm telling you right now, I have met so many people who are worriers and also anxious people. And all I can say is that their thought life really, really stinks. They just have a negative thought life. Oh my God, what's going to happen? If, oh my God, oh, I can't believe that happened. And it's just all negative. The fourth is that it intensifies self-sufficiency. People who worry a lot and people who are anxious, they end up becoming very self-sufficient. So when you meet some self-sufficient people, you, you can pretty much guess there's going to be some worry and anxiousness in their lives. A lot of stress. Can I just say this? When you're stressed, it's not a badge of honor. Oh, I'm stressed. No. You're stressed and you have a problem. Once again, you got to be, Jesus gives us the peace. Peace I give you. A peace not like the world gives. That's what Jesus said. Some of you, busyness. Wow. Some of you, how are you doing? Oh, I'm so busy. As if it's some kind of badge of honor. Oh, we should worship you because you're so busy. Thank you for giving me some time. That's why I'm trying to make a commitment. Whenever people ask me how are things going or how, how has this week been, I'm not trying to, I'm, I'm getting rid of that B word. As best as I can. I might probably fall here and there, but all I'm trying to eliminate that word. So I will say, yes, my week was full. Full of joy and <laughs> laughter as I meet with people. You're struggling with that? Ha <laughs> ha. No, I'm kidding. I'm like, laughter. So it's full. Or it is opportunities. Yeah, this week I had a lot of opportunities. Sometimes changing your language will change your mindset. So once again, some of us, we're so self-sufficient because we get worried, we get anxious, so we gotta, we gotta, we're going to try to do something about it. So you don't trust in God. You don't depend on God. It's all about you. The last one that I see, it increases a sense of hopelessness. One of the reasons why it's easy to feel this hopelessness in your life is when you worry and you get anxious about something, not only is the focus on you, but you're like, how is it going to happen? And sometimes you look at the situation and you realize there's no faith involved in, you, in this situation for you. You pretty much realize it's not going to work. Listen to me. Because I need to state this point to be able to look at Hudson Taylor's life and how he really made God a priority. And that's the thing that intense, ignited 
his faith with this incredible intensity, a man of faith. This is the reason why Jesus drives home the point that the Gentiles or those who do not know Jesus Christ or the non-Jews back then worry because they are without God and the world is all that they have. Listen to me. What Jesus was trying to say to the disciples back then was saying, you are the chosen people, the Israelite people. You know that God has taken care of you. Just look at the history from being delivered from Egypt through the wilderness, all these things. That's God providing for you, watching over you, taking care of you. But the Gentiles who are the non-Jews who don't have this kind of God, covenantal God, what do they have? They just have themselves and the world. So no wonder they worry. Now, I hope you know where I'm trying to get this, where I'm trying to get to with this. If we would now superimpose this and say that now we are the people of God as be through Jesus Christ and his blood, that we, as followers of Jesus Christ, the people of God, when we begin to worry and be anxious, we're acting as if we don't know God or Jesus Christ. We act as if the world is all we have. We act as if everything is dependent on us. That's what Jesus is trying to say. The Gentiles struggle with these kinds of, because they don't have a God, Yahweh, who is Jehovah Jireh, who provides. It's a God who is righteous and loves us. So all they have, the Gentiles, is trusting in themselves. But we as believers, we live by faith because of Jesus Christ. Because we have this relationship with God, we can trust Him and not have to worry. I'm not saying that you, I'm not saying that you will never worry. It's a natural reaction. But it's what you do with it. Think about it this way. If I slapped you and you go, that didn't hurt. Slap my other cheek, because that's what the Bible says. Then I would say, you have a problem. You stub your toe, someone hits you, you'll be like, ow. But then if you punch them back, that, that's a different issue. Are you with me? So you will feel stress. You will feel things coming at you. You will start worrying. You will start wondering, like getting anxious. What do I do? But then right then, in that moment, the question is, what will you do? And the problem is that a lot of us turn to ourselves, turn to other things and other people rather than turning to God. That is what Jesus is trying to drive home. And since, because of what Jesus did, we are different because we know that God loves us than our priorities and the things that we seek after should be different. That's why I'm going to read it from a couple different translations. This famous verse, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. I'm going to read it from the Amplified Version first. Read the yellow section with me. It says this. But first and most importantly, seek, aim at, 
Strive after his kingdom and his righteousness, his way of doing and being right, the attitude and the character of God, and all these things will be given to you also. Here's another translation. In the English contemporary version, it says this, but more than anything else, put God's work first and do what he wants, then all the other things will be yours as well. I want, you, I want to just pause here for a second. When you read something like this, like, oh, gosh, like, yeah, there's a lot of things I have to do for church. There's a lot of things I got to do for my life group. There's a lot of stuff. And you know that feeling. I've been there, too. When there are things you got to do that you know you ought to do, and there are things that you have to do, whether for school, family, maybe at work, or whatever it is, because that's part of your calling, too. But how many of us always seek after, it's about us, first, and this is the reason why I have yet to hear many testimonies of people trusting in God, even though they have all these things that they got to do, but they know that they want committed to following God, doing the things that are in line with his heart and his will. You trust in him even for this. And then you realize, God, I, I know I got to do this. I want to do this because I want to love you. And I also have to do this, but I'm going to trust you for this. And then you go into the exam and they go, oh, it's been delayed one week. Now, do you understand the difference between, oh my God, I go, I have an exam tomorrow. I can't go to life. I can't do this. I can't do that. And all of a sudden the exam gets pushed back one way. Like, oh, wow. Praise God. There's no glory in that. None. Compared to, God, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do everything, but I trust you. I believe you're good. You've called me to do this. You've also told me this is my calling, my schoolwork, or my uh, things at, at work, at, at my job. But I'm going to do this because I love you. It's not about other people. It's not what the leaders are going to say. Where's the evaluation? You know, you're like, no, Lord, no. It's, it's about you. I love you. I love your people. And I want to learn to love your people. And I'm going to trust you for this. And even though I have a little less hour to study, I'm going to believe by faith. Not that you're going to give me A, but with the strength that I have, you're going to allow me to do the best that I can. And then you go to class and then they go, the exam is pushed back in one week. That's when you're doing the, oh. Uh. That's when you give glory to God. Can I get a good amen to that? Do you see the difference? See, I don't see too many people here. This is the reason why we don't have these incredible testimonies of God delivering, God answering, God doing something. But we got a whole bunch of people over here. And you try to twist it and make it all about like God when it wasn't. It was all about you. You were trying to figure it out. You were trying to take control of it. You were trying to manipulate. Look at the message translation. Steep your life in God reality, God initiative, God's provision. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. This is the first FOMO. The Passion Translation says this, Above all, constantly chase after the realm of God's kingdom and the righteousness that proceeds from him. Then all these 
less important things will be given to you abundantly. It doesn't mean that they're not important, but when you compare it to loving God, loving people, what, what compares to it? Now the question is, okay, well, how does this all tie in with Hudson Taylor's life? It has everything to do with it. If there's ever a person who fully sought after God's kingdom, who made God a priority, it was out of that commitment to make God the center of everything in his life that began to fuel and ignite this faith with such hot intensity that literally changed a whole nation. And it changed generations. And that's what I want to share a little bit about who this man is, for those of you who don't know. And praise God, there's so many resources you guys can look at in online and uh, intercessory prayer team. They're trying to give some things to you throughout on Monday, so different things to keep in mind. But if you're getting inspired, there's many different books about him, biographies about him. He has an autobiography. Read it. Get inspired. And I pray that you will be able to follow Christ as he followed Christ. James Hudson Taylor, he went with his middle name. James Hudson Taylor was born on May 21st, 1832, and was raised in Yorkshire, England. Now, it was interesting because his parents were both Christ followers. They were strong Christians. In fact, the father was a chemist, and he was also a Methodist preacher. The mom was a very devout follower of Christ. She dedicated herself to the hard work of prayer. And both of them had this vision of somehow a burden for the Far East as they've been praying and thinking about China. So when they found out that they were going to have a baby, one of the things that they did was they dedicated this baby to the Lord and said, may this child one day go to China as a missionary. That was their prayer. Can I just say this to some of you who are parents or some of you who might be parents? That child is not yours. I know it's hard to hear. I know this is kind of like, a, you know, but he or she, they are not yours. And if you are a parent here or you're watching, I'm not trying to put a guilt trip on you, but I will say this. One of the reasons why your child right now who is in college or even single adult, they're not growing is because you are still babying them. You're trying to control their life. No wonder they don't grow. No wonder when I counsel them, I realize they have so many issues. Because they don't know how to make a decision for themselves. They've never faced consequences. So they make excuses. They're never going to grow. They don't take responsibility. You can blame the world, but really the question is, how are we raising them? Now, there is no perfect parent. I hope all of you know, I have a lot of shortcomings. My wife will tell you how I fell short of being a good dad. We're all going to fall short. But one thing that I want to encourage us and learn it now while you are single, before you get married and have kids, is that that child is not your child. He's God's. She's God's. And the more you can let go of that, then you will stop trying to make them to go to Harvard because it's going to make you feel good. You'll stop making them trying to do X, Y, Z so that you can look good in front of your friends. 
because it's your issue, because you're insecure. So now you're living your dream through your child. Now who has the issue? Your child. Because you never addressed it in your life. Boy, I don't know how many people turned off their live stream now. They were both followers of Christ, and they said, this is, this is your child, Lord. And we pray one day that he will grow up to be a missionary to China. But something interesting happened. Even though he grew up in a very strong Christian home, at the age of 17, which many of us can remember, well, some of us can remember, 17 years old, Hudson Taylor began to have some doubts about his faith because he saw a lot of the hypocrisy. He started looking at some of the things in the Bible, and as his brain was developing, he was asking, could that really happen? He had doubts. He had questions. Do you know the reason why we have so many people, and listen to me carefully. Man, I'm going to offend a lot of people. I I, I pray the gospel will offend you, not my words. I'm going to try to... Wrap it around the gospel. So, you know, bad news first, good news later. Okay? I just recently spoke at a high school retreat. And it's a Christian international school. Now, I will say this. It's not one school is better than another school or worse than another school. I think this is just across the board. Because I see this in the Anglican schools too. Some of you who went to D, D, whatever, D, B, whatever, all that stuff. I I know you. I see you. The problem is this. Is that sometimes, even in a Christian school, you're raising up kids just to have the right answers, but you're not answering their questions. So you're not allowing them to have doubts and to really explore and solidify their conviction because you're saying, just listen to me. That's what the Bible says. And what is a 16, 15, or even a 17, 18-year-old supposed to do? Okay, sure, you're so right. No. So what happens? They'll, They'll listen. They will do all the stuff in high school, but once they get to college and they're away from their family, And some of you have friends who went to the UK, to the United States, Canada, Australia. Sorry, I don't know. I almost fell off. I did fall off. But anyway. (laughs) They went to all these places for university. And you know, because you know that personally, they don't go to church anymore. They're not believers anymore. Because they never internalized their faith. They just pretty much, what they did was just Do what they were told to do. So here he is, 17 years old, grew up in a Christian home, a really good Christian home. Parents dedicating him to be a missionary in China. And all of a sudden, he started having doubts and questions. And listen to what he said. I thought in his book, a retrospect, it's really interesting how he describes this situation about his kind of like dilemma with his faith. He writes this. I had many opportunities in early years of learning the value of prayer and of the Word of God. For it was the delight of my parents, dear parents, to point out that if there were any such being as God, to trust Him, 
to obey him and to be fully given up to his service must of necessity be the best and wisest course, both for myself and others. But in spite of these helpful examples and precepts, my heart was unchanged. Often I had tried to make myself a Christian and failing, of course, in such efforts. I began at last to think that for some reason or other, I could not be saved and that the best I can do was to take my fill of this world as there was no hope for me beyond the grave. Wow. A person who grew up in the church with all the great influences, they're finally coming to a point where they're thinking, maybe there is no hope for me. Once again, can I just address some of you who grew up in the church? You know, you know I love you. But I will say this to you. Until you internalize your faith, you will not grow. Your faith that's on your ID card, your faith that you grew up with on youth group, if you do not internalize this and you don't have a vibrant, walking, and close, abiding, trusting, faith-filled relationship with Jesus Christ, you are pretty much, your heart has not been generated, regenerated. You can go to all the services in the church. You can serve even in the ministry teams. You can go to every single life group. But if you do not have this personal encounter with Jesus Christ, you are not saved. Even in his rebellion, listen to me. This is the beautiful part of his story early on. Even in the midst of his rebellion, Taylor's mom and sister, they persistently prayed for Hudson. Then in June 1849, Hudson Taylor went to his father's library and ended up picking up a gospel track. You know, it's like God's like, move your hand over there. He's like, oh, you know what? Picks up this gospel track. And the phrase that caught his attention is, the finished work of Christ. This is when he realized, oh my goodness, my debt has been paid. All my sins have been nailed to the cross and Jesus Christ loved me and the work is already done. And so the conclusion is this, if the work is already done on the cross, what more can I do? And he realized there's nothing he can do. All he can do is to receive it by faith. And it was in that moment that he decided to trust in Jesus Christ. Now, this, that's not the best part. I mean, it's good that he's saved, but check this out. About 120 kilometers away at that exact same time, and they found out later after the mom shared, his mom, at that exact same time when he came to this realization, she was praying for a couple hours because the Holy Spirit told her to pray for her son, Hudson. So as he was having these doubts and he was just looking into finding something at his dad's library, he just happened to come across this track, reading it, and he saw that phrase and spoke to him, and then he decided to fully trust in Jesus Christ. While at the same time, his, his mom is away about 120 kilometers away. She's at this other gathering. She goes to a room and she prays. She intercedes. Why is this powerful? Because prayer changes things. Can I get a good amen to that? Amen. Do you have a father or a mother 
or a brother or sister, some close friend that, that are not believers, my challenge to you is how often are you praying? Does it burden your heart that they're going to spend a Christless eternity? If you genuinely love them and you care for them, it's not about getting the best grades to make them happy. It's not about getting that perfect. What you want to be able to help them to understand is this gospel message. And the only way, because you cannot do it by, okay, I'm going to go home and live a perfect life so my parents will be like, wow, what must I do to be a Christian? No way. If that ever happens, please talk to me. To this day, I have yet to see that. They might say, oh, you're a little bit different. Oh, don't get too involved. Looks like you, you never call me back. You know, those kinds of stuff. But the power of prayer is that when you're praying in that hour, across the other side of the world, God is working at the same time in your parents' heart. And the reason why you're not praying is because you don't believe it. And the reason why I, I, I can speak like this with confidence is that I don't know how long I pray for my dad. And every single time I would try to go home during my breaks and try to do all this stuff, I, no avail. But every time I was away in college, something was happening. I'm like, oh, God, you don't need me. So during one of the breaks, I would go back and I see that he's listening to sermons on tape. Back then we had cassette tapes, all right? He was listening to... Sermons and tape. I'm like, whoa, mom, what's going on? Like, yeah, he just picked up some uh, sermons from this one pastor. He said he likes them, speaking truth. So it's like, okay. Then I go back to school and I'm praying. And then I come back for winter break. And guess what? Now he's reading the Bible. I'm like, God, why, why, why don't you need me? And then I go back to school and spring break comes and I go and now he's going to church with my mom. And I realized in that moment that it's not about me. It's not about how I live my life, but it's about me praying and asking God of the universe to work in my dad's heart. I just want to challenge some of you who might have pre-Christian parents or family members that do not know Jesus Christ, your friends that you love that are close to you that do not know Jesus Christ. I want to ask you and challenge you, when is the last time you actually fasted and committed that every whatever time in the day I am praying for them? God, you do your thing. I'm going to trust in you for that. So through his experience of trusting Christ for salvation, God was preparing him for something great. I'm going to try to go through this quickly. Listen, he says this. There were some major decisions that he made which prepared him for the mission. The first thing was that he willingly learns to surrender. <laughs> some of you think that surrender is something like, okay, God, make me surrender. Just, I dare you, make me. It doesn't work that way. We got to cooperate, cooperate with God. Because when he's speaking, when he's nudging in your heart, he's already convicted you. You saw that thing and you were like, Ugh, all that kind of stuff. That's the Holy Spirit working in you. Now we got to cooperate and then respond to God and say, God, here's my life. In order to do mission in China, Taylor began to study medicine because he knew that that's how many people were able to get into some of these countries is through medicine. Now, think about it. We could go in through IT and so many other ways to go to some of these closed access uh, countries. 
He also, knowing that he wanted to go to China, he started learning Mandarin. They didn't have Duolingo. They didn't have all these other Rosetta Stone. He also started learning Greek and Hebrew and Latin, realizing he wanted to study the Bible. That's why he wanted to go deeper in the Bible because that's the word of God that he needs to give to them. He started growing in prayer because he realized that he can't change people, but only God can. And he willingly made a decision. Check this out. This is the part that kind of impressed me. He willingly made a decision to surrender his comfortable life. There seems to be a trend. Oh. Wouldn't it be awesome if God could use really comfortable people? Here I am, Lord. Stay me. Let me stay here. (laughs) Till this day, I haven't seen comfortable people do some incredible things for Jesus Christ. If you find some, can you let me know? Because I want to know their secret. Because I, I, I believe in massage ministry. You know, come on, Lord. I'm, I'm feeling, yeah, yes, Lord. Now, please, don't misunderstand. Some of you guys are going to take this as an alley and you're going to get beaten up by a bully. Listen, I'm not against massages. <laughs> massages are good. That's how you could bless your leaders. You know, those are good things. Those are good things. So don't, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying those are bad things. Those are good things. But I have yet to see people who thrive or who love comfort, and that's how they make all their decisions, do some things for the kingdom of God. Till this day, I have not seen it. They have to be willing to sacrifice, surrender certain things, and that's exactly what he did. You know what? Check this out. First thing he did was he decided instead of a fluffy, feathery bed, he decided to give that up. And he started to sleep on a hard mattress because he said in China, they, they have hard mattresses. I, I don't know how they, he figured that out. But you probably saw pictures of people just laying down on concrete or something. So that's what he started doing. He started sleeping on a really hard mattress. Another thing he did was he limited his food intake, thinking that Chinese people don't eat a lot. You know, that's what he did. So he started limiting his, because he said, I want to prepare. So when I go there, I'm not going to be like that American who orders five dishes in Indonesia because Indonesian food is just a small portion. That's what our family did. I remember how many of these servers like, uh-huh, because my boys and, you know, my daughter and myself and, you know, my wife was okay. But like, oh, we were just eating everything. So we slowly, our stomach started adjusting when we were in Indonesia. So instead of like two dishes for each, we slowly went down to one. So he started limiting his food intake. He started exercising in the open air. You know, all that kind of stuff. Because he realized that there were some people doing that stuff. And then he decided he's going to spend a lot of his spare time or free time on the streets with the poor. Thinking and knowing that there were some poor people who will be out in different places in China. He willingly did this. No leader told him to do this. No pastor told him to do it. He willingly chose this because he is prepared to go to share the gospel of Jesus Christ to millions of people who have yet to hear. 
He writes in his letter describing his preparation. I have begun to get up at five in the morning. Lord, have mercy. And so find it necessary to go to bed early at night. Lord, have mercy there. I must study if I mean to go to China. I am fully dedicated to go and I'm making every preparation I can. I tend to rub up my... uh, I guess that's a British word. I tend to rub up my uh, Latin to learn Greek and the rudiments of Hebrew and to get as much general information as possible. I need all your prayers. I'm wondering what would happen as a church if we trained up all our members to be ready to go on a mission. Man, we will have a completely different mindset. We will stop having a consumer mindset. See, consumers are always like, oh, what's in it for me? Oh, you, you don't have this for me. So I'm going to shop around. I'm going to do this and that. And I'm telling you right now, if you start living a consumeristic life in a church context, you will, your spiritual life will die. Because all you're doing is taking. So you will get spiritually fat and you are not going to grow. Well, you'll grow in a different way. Your, your pride, all this other stuff. Not only does he willingly learn to surrender, but he willingly lives by faith. In November 1851, at the age of 19, how many of you guys are 19? Come on, can I get a shout out here? Okay. How many of you guys want to be 19 again? Woo! Okay, okay, okay. So, so those of you who are 19, you're like, woo! Trust me, as you get older, you want to be 19 again, okay? Here we go. Do you know what he did? This guy's crazy. He moves into a town called Drainside, and he began to live there. Now, I don't know what the town was like. I just read up on it. It was very impoverished. It was uh, just noisy, dirty, however you want to describe it. And pretty much it was a slum. And that's where he decides to live so that he could serve the poor and help people with medical needs. That is a person who willingly chooses, not a comfortable life, but he chooses it willingly because because of Jesus Christ. And here in Drainside, this is where Taylor learned a life of faith. Listen, some of you are thinking, oh, to live by faith, it just comes, right? No, it's like a muscle. It is like a skill. That you practice over and over and over and over and over and over again. I don't know why I'm doing musical instruments, but you know what I'm saying. Over again. So there were two incidences that happened in this town as he willingly decided to go into the slum area. The first thing is this. He decided he's going to trust in God and stop keep, he's going to stop reminding his boss to give him his money. He, he would always say, oh, boss, I, I need my salary. I need my money this week. Like, oh, I'm so sorry. I forgot. So he goes, God, if I'm going to go on faith and I'm going to trust in you that you will provide, then I'm not going to ask him anymore. You speak to him. I'm like, you're crazy, man. I mean, if, if, he, if Jimmy H was right here with me, I'm like, dude, just ask him. But he decided he's not because he's going to believe that God will provide. And that's what happened. The next morning, he got this anonymous envelope five times what he needed because he was down to his last some dollars. 
can you imagine how that will boost up your faith? Because you're seeking God and His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Here's the second thing that happened when he was living in that slum area. On another occasion, Taylor was approached by a person who begged him to come and help his dying wife. When he got there, he realized that they were really poor and they needed some help and he didn't have all the resources to help them. So what he did was he only had like this, uh, a certain amount, just a small amount, and he said, you know what, God, you're convicting me. They need it. I'm going to give it to you. Now, I don't know what I'm going to eat for tomorrow, but I'm going to give it to you. And guess what happened? The next day, God provided him everything he needed. Can you imagine going through these types of experiences in your life? You will never have those doubts that God will provide for you. You will begin to strengthen your faith and say, God is awesome. And he will provide if I would trust in him and put my whole life down. He will never leave me nor forsake me. Hudson Taylor said this, Depend on it. God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supplies. I love that. He is too wise a God to frustrate his purposes for lack of funds. And he can just as easily supply them ahead of time as afterwards. And he much prefers doing so. Not ahead of time, but what? Afterwards. After you step out in faith. That's when he loves to provide. Because he wants to see if you have faith and you trust in him. With these lessons, Hudson Taylor sailed for China in September 19th, 1853 at the age of 21. He landed in Shanghai in March 1st, which was about five and a half months out to sea. How about us this morning? Do we get anxious? Do we turn to ourselves rather than trusting in God? What are some things you're holding back? of living a life fully, completely with trust and faith. What are you calculating? Let me quickly go into his purpose. Once he was in China, there's a couple things that happened that I think will really help us to understand, wow, this person really lived his purpose passionately. First of all, I want you to look at his radical faith because remember all his preparation, God was preparing him to live a life of faith. So when he was in China, he had a life of faith. Once his ship arrived, Taylor immediately made this radical decision that he is going to dress like the Chinese. Some of you guys heard the story before. Because he started seeing all these Western expats and people who are there, and they were just kind of not doing the mission. The mission was they were translating for other British people who are business people so they can get a lot of money. He's like, wait a minute. I thought these missionaries came here because of the gospel, but they're just translating for these business people, making a lot of money, and they're living like the world. That was his perspective. So as soon as he got there, he goes, no, I'm going to do things totally differently. I'm going to live by faith. And one of the things I'm going to do is I'm going to dress like the Chinese people, the way they dress, so that they can accept me and they can know that I'm not trying to come here as a Westerner. That was, back then, it was totally radical. Like, he, in fact, got criticized by people in his mission organization. They're like, what are you doing? Don't dress like the Chinese people. Huh. Now when you hear it, like, that was stupid. Like, of these guys who said not to do that because you got to be contextual. Here's a picture. Let me show you this picture. That's how he dressed. 
to be like the Chinese people. Hudson Taylor in his book, once again, a retrospect, writes this. As he talks about even this life of faith, as he dressed like them, he realized that, okay, we need money to support our mission here. So he decided, as he was looking at his mission organization that sent him, they didn't have any more resources, so they said, you know what, I'm going to have to trust in God. And he says, to borrow money implied, to my mind, a contradiction of Scripture, a confession that God has withheld some good thing, and a determination to get for ourselves what he has not given. To satisfy my conscience, I was therefore compelled to resign connection with the society, which is the mission organization, which had... Hitherto, anyway, that's a British word, supplied my salary. So what he's simply saying is this, that he decided not to start asking people for money, but he knows that God knows him. He's going to trust in him. This began this whole life mission of faith. He started calling his organization that he founded called China Inland Mission, C-I-M. He wanted to go and evangelize to the interior parts of China. He made plans to recruit 24 missionaries, two for each of the 11 unreached inland provinces and two for Mongolia. He wanted to increase the number of missionaries to China by 25% because there weren't too many back then. And throughout the years, he kept on praying for a specific number of missionaries that will come and God will provide for them as well. That's why I love some of these other quotes that he's talked about when you look at his radical faith. China is not to be won for Christ by quiet, easy-loving men and women. Another quote, it says this, the stamp of men and women we need is just as such as will put Jesus, China and souls first and foremost in everything and at every time, even life itself must be secondary. I mean, radical type of faith, complete trust in God. When you make God a priority, our faith will ignite with great intensity. Another thing that we see here about his purpose is that not only this radical faith, but there's a radical faithfulness. Hudson Taylor was no stranger to illness or to loss of loved ones. In 1861, he became so seriously ill, he was forced to go back to England. In this whole journey of being a missionary, he lost his first wife, Maria, to illness, and then he ended up getting remarried. Hudson had 13 children, and several of them passed away at a young age. Can you imagine? I don't know about you, but here you are committed to this mission. Your wife passed away. A couple of your children passed away because of cholera and all these other diseases. And I'm wondering, what is it about this mission that you do not want to go back to England? He was committed. He was faithful to his calling, even though his wife and even his children passed away because that could have brought anyone home. But he decided to stay. Even when he went back to England to rest, Taylor remained faithful to continue to translate the Bible in Chinese and to motivate people to this cause. He was also troubled to see that so many people had little interest in China or even the loss when he went to the churches in England. And he wrote this that I think is very powerful. He wrote some of these articles and he said this, and he says, they are perishing, referring to the Chinese people, a thousand 
every hour, a million every month, while to me and to every believer is given to ask in prayer whatsoever we will. To ask without limit in the name of Jesus. Can all the Christians in England sit still with folded arms while these multitudes in China are perishing? Perishing for lack of knowledge, for lack of that knowledge which England possesses so richly. What he's saying is that with all that we have, with the blessings that we have, and knowing that there are people who do not have this knowledge of Jesus Christ, how can we just sit there and do nothing? That is a challenge. Here you are, you have life group, you are, have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and you look at your co-workers, you look at your family, you look at your classmates, you look at your doormates, and they don't know Jesus Christ. And for you, it does not move you. It doesn't even bother you that the person that's next to you at work, that's next to you in your dorm, in your class, they're going to spend a Christless eternity, and it does not move you. That is how self-centered you are. And it's all about what you do. And here he is, as he's looking at what's going on. So many times he wanted to go back. And as some of you know, in May 1900, there was an uprising called the Boxer Rebellion. And pretty much what that was, was this anti-foreigner kind of movement amongst the Chinese and even the Japanese. And there was like, let's get rid of these foreigners. And so in his ministry, the China Inland Mission, CIM, during the uprising in the Boxer Rebellion, he lost 58 adults and 21 children. Huh. This affected China Inland Mission. This affected him physically, mentally, knowing that all these people died. He could have given up, but he had a radical faithfulness to God's grace by God's grace and by his strength. Hudson Taylor says this, I am no longer anxious about anything, for he I know is able to carry out his will, and his will is mine. I make no matter where he places me or how. That is rather for him to consider than for me. For in the easiest position, he must give me grace. And in the most difficult, his grace is sufficient. No matter how hard it is, I'm going to be faithful. In our generation, as soon as it's hard, we leave. As soon as it's hard, we give up. That's why we don't see people doing some incredible things because we give up too easily. Because we don't have faith. We don't, we're not praying. We don't believe that God could do something. Where is that person who will persevere in prayer and asking God, I can't change them. I can't change this, but you can. And I'm going to keep on persevering in faithfulness and prayer and believing that you're going to do it. Here's his tombstone when he finally passed away. June 3rd, 1905. And it's somewhere in China, but it's covered. Because now you know the situation. It's just his tombstone, but his body's buried somewhere else. So what is his place of mission? Well, when he passed away in 1905, the China, China Inland Mission was an international body with 825 missionaries living in all 18 provinces of China back then. Like literally he covered the whole continent, or excuse me, the country, the nation of China. It had more than 300 mission stations, more than 500 local Chinese helpers, and 25,000 Christian converts 
by the time he died. Now that number is a lot more through this ministry. What is impressive is the people that followed after Hudson Taylor who had a heart for China. That's the part that blows me away. Some of the people that have been affected and impacted by his life are well known. Let me show you some of the pictures. You know, I don't know if you know, these are the Cambridge Seven. Please, I'm going to say this carefully, but I'm going to say it precisely. Some of you in this room, you think you're better than you really are. That you love your life so much that you think that it is worth so much that you cannot sacrifice it for Jesus Christ. Your career, your exchange, your internship, your job, whatever it is. Some of you think that, oh my God, this is, I'm too important. I cannot give this up. Go Google the Cambridge 7. They all went to Cambridge. Where did you go? I'm not shaming you, but I'm just trying to tell you to have a proper perspective. These guys went to Cambridge. C.T. Studd, he was a famous cricket player. He was a LeBron James of cricket. He was famous. He could have made a lot of money. He gave that all up. One of them was an heir to a kingdom. He gave that all up. Parents couldn't understand it. He gave it all up. That's like literally you are a son of a conglomerate. And said, mom, dad, I don't need this. I love Jesus that much. Just give me the Tesla. But I, I, I love Jesus so much. that I'm gonna, I, I don't need your inheritance. I don't need all this. I'm going to follow Christ. And I'm sharing this not to shame you. Please listen to my heart. I'm speaking to some of you who think your life is so awesome that you cannot surrender for Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you right now, there are people who are so much better than us who found the worthiness of Jesus Christ to lay down their life to say, God, here is my life as a sacrifice and as an offering. Not much I could give to you, but the worldly sense I might, but not much to give to you. Use it for your glory. The next one, we, we saw her. She was impacted by Hudson Taylor, Amy Carmichael. Next one. You know who he is? Eric Little. The one who cherished the fire. Dun, 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 dun. Eric Little, who ended up, he was a famous uh, track star for England, but then he decided to give it all up. And he said, when I run, I feel the, the, the pleasure of God. Because he was, God made me to run and run fast. But he gave all that up. Even though he won a, a medal at the Olympics, he gave that all that up so that he can go to China and share the gospel. The next person, if you don't know him, he's Borden of Yale, William Borden. He went to Yale. Don't repeat after me, but Yale. Oh, we have Yale. We have this thing called the uh, you know, National University of Singapore and the Yale program. Uh-huh. But this is Yale. And if you heard that name, it's Borden, which was a dairy company that produced the milk, and he had millions of dollars under. He gave all that up, and he was impacted by Hudson Taylor and the vision of so many lost people. Next one. Jim Elliott, he went to Wheaton College, a wrestler and a very, like, 
very well liked. He surrendered all that and gave that up and became a martyr in Ecuador. Amongst the now, back then it was the Aka Indians. Now it's the Wadani people. He gave up his life. And when they did the autopsy and everything, they realized it was more of a defensive position when the spears were coming in. So that meant that they were not trying to kill them in self-defense in any way. They didn't pull any trigger or anything. They willingly wanted to die so that they could know Jesus Christ. And if you know anything about their story, many of them came to know Christ, especially those who killed their fathers, that they were able to share the gospel with them. Next, Billy Graham was impacted by Hudson Taylor. Next, Louis Palau, one of the famous evangelists, along with Billy Graham. All these men and women who had such a vision of God because here's this one man who radically lived his life and inspired a whole generation and a generation after that. Listen to what Hudson Taylor said. I'm going to close with this. God uses men and women who are weak and feeble enough to lean on him. All God's giants have been, made, been weak men and women who did great things for God because they reckoned on God being with them. That's why when you make God a priority, that our faith ignites with intensity. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net.